What I was hoping to do was to get all my, at least a few tenants out, renovate the units and rent them out higher. Cause I know they're low, even if I don't do any renovations for what they're paying. Cause the tenants have been there quite some time. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to where should I invest real estate investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Welcome back to another awesome episode and welcome to this week's podcast episode with Casey Gray and we talk about CMHC financing and multifamily investing as well as phase one and two environmentals, different terminologies, NOIs, risks and challenges for this coming year and so much more. Casey is the founder of the award-winning sustainable building company, The Conscious Builder, also the host of the Conscious Builder podcast and YouTube show, and much more. He brings decades of experience in the construction industry, as well as a decade of running, owning, and growing multiple businesses while still enjoying a great lifestyle with his family. And uh, I think you guys will enjoy the episode. But before we do that, Dahlia, what is the important thing to know in today's world of financing? Dahlia, what can you tell us? Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages. My team and I have been getting so many questions these days from investors about the rising interest rates and what strategies to use to manage the impact on cash flow and mortgage payments. Firstly, I would like to invite you to step back and breathe. The sky is not falling and the world is not ending. Yes, the rates are going to rise, but overall, the rates continue to be relatively low within the bigger scheme of things. The truth is we all got so spoiled by the cheap rates and free money in the past two years. Second, there are various strategies to hedge and, and manage beyond locking into a five-year fixed rate. Let me share those with you. Number one, if you cannot sleep at night as rates continue to rise and you still want to benefit from the opportunity of softening rates once inflation is under control, then locking into a shorter-term fixed rate like a one to two years term may be an option for you compared to walking into a five years fixed where the differential is 170 points compared to where variable rates are right now. Number two, consider switching to what's called a capped variable rate. There are a few lenders on the street that offer a capped variable rate option. Under that option, as the prime rate that impacts variable rates rises, your monthly mortgage payments stay the same but the percentage of the payment that goes towards the principal pay down declines and more goes towards the interest. This is a good option if none of the other alternatives I'm gonna talk about work for you and you are okay extending the lives of the mortgage as you're paying more interest under this strategy. Number three, extend the amortization of the mortgage or a loan. If you have two loans of the same amount, one at a lower rate but shorter amortization and the other one is at a higher rate but a longer amortization. You will see that your payments on the first loan would be higher. Having said that, your interest savings would be bigger because you are paying off the loan over a shorter time period at a lower rate. Extending the amortization is a way to lower your monthly payment on a loan as the rates rise. As increasing the amortization will extend the life of the mortgage, Discuss with your mortgage advisor alternative methods using the prepayment privileges to pay down the loan over its original amortization or time horizon. 
Number four, replace expensive debts with cheaper debts. Although the rates are rising, the cost of secured debts such as mortgages and line of credits remain relatively cheap within the bigger scheme of things. One option to create capacity within your budget is to replace expensive debts with cheaper debts. Let me give you an example. Let's say you have a car loan with a monthly payment of $1,200 and there is $30,000 left on that car loan. If it makes sense to pay it off, then we can use secured line of credit money to pay it off. And what that does is it reduces your monthly payment from $1,200 to $92 interest only payment based on the current prime rate of 3.7. You will also have the option to make a principal and interest payment, but as you can see, the payment is significantly lower than the $1,200. Number six, convert a portion, a portion of a mortgage to an interest-only payment. An interest-only payment on a loan is often lower than an interest and principal payment. If you want to ease up the impacts of rising rates on your cash flow and budget, paying an interest-only payment would be lighter on your pocket. Having said that, you have to be conscious of how long you want to stick with interest-only payments and convert those back to principal and interest, and interest or pay more than the interest every month so you can still get ahead. Advanceable mortgages on the street allow you to divide up the loan into interest-only, like line of credits, and principal and interest loans at the time of approval. And you can convert an interest-only loan at a later point back to a mortgage. Lastly, take a short and long mortgage. You don't have to choose fixed or variable. You can choose both. Advanceable mortgages allow you to slice and dice a mortgage into multiple components of varying terms and rates. For example, you can have three loan components, one as a variable, one as a fixed, and the third as an interest-only line of credit. Tools like this can help you hedge while offering flexibility and better options for managing your cash flow. Right now, being proactive is your best tool to ride the wave. We have developed an interest rate sensitivity calculator to help you assess the impact of increasing rates on your current property portfolio and cash flow, and to help guide your decision as to whether you should stay put lock in or consider any of the tools I discussed earlier. You can get a copy by emailing us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Also, if you wish to discuss hedging or cash flow management strategies that are specific to your situation, you may book a complimentary planning session with one of our senior advisors at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Cheers to your success. Awesome. That was great. Streetwise Mortgages has been a tremendous help. And also Dahlia comes out to our master classes. We started doing some master classes discussing how to convert complex conversions, commercial conversions, like commercial properties and converting them into residential. We do those in Hamilton live in person, full days. And Dahlia is a wealth of knowledge and she comes with us as well and talks about all of the different types of financings for these buildings that we are looking at. We just had one this week 
And we likely will do another one because uh, we've got a big wait list of people who are interested. It is amazing, amazing class. It starts at 9.30, goes all the way to about 3.30, 4 o'clock. And there's theory, there's practical. We're actually going out and viewing properties and we're figuring out how to apply the, you know, how to figure out what the right zoning is, what permits, what are the options for this property? What can you do with it? What can you not do with it? Can you convert it all to residential? And we talk about all the financing around that as well, construction and how to budget and all that good stuff. So likely we're going to do another one. So if you guys are interested in attending a masterclass or learning more about converting commercial into residential or doing large complex conversions, that is essentially the new birth strategy. It doesn't make as much sense to do two and three units anymore, especially with the rates going up. We have to do it differently and it is time to pivot. So on that note, though, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. But if you have any questions about multifamily, converting commercial to residential, or you're interested in coming to our next masterclass, let me know and I will make sure to send you some more information. Enjoy this podcast. Casey, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. And I was watching right before this podcast, all of your amazing videos that you do on YouTube and uh, you've got a wealth of knowledge. So before we get started, maybe give us a little bit of background on how you got started in real estate and a little bit about what you're doing today. Yeah. So I've been in construction, so in residential construction, which ultimately led to, to real estate really since I got out of high school. So right out of high school, got in construction, did my apprenticeship, ended up buying my mom's house from her at, I think it was 20, 20 at the time, uh, ended up buying a few houses. Uh, I'll fast track this story. Uh, bought a few houses, started doing the construction, I ultimately went off on my own. My wife, now my wife at the time, my fiance went to California to do her master's in clinical psychology. And I, at that point, had three houses. Uh, I was 23 at the time and living, renting a basement apartment because I could rent for cheaper than what I was renting my units out for and living with my younger brother uh, because all I needed was a truck, a motorcycle, a kitchen, and a room. <laughs> so, so it worked out at that point and things were going well. So that was kind of the introduction into real estate. And uh, I started to build my construction career. And what ended up happening is I sold my real estate to kind of further the construction career. And we, and we dove into what we do now, which is high performance building. And we started by building ourselves a certified passive house. And I tell people it was kind of the best decision and worst decision because I sold my real estate to make this happen, but it kind of set us up on the business side to be the leader in our area for building that type, that type of home and really kicked off all of our YouTube stuff and all, all the stuff that we're doing online. So been doing, really been in construction for as long as I've been in almost 20 years at this point and real estate and recently got back into real estate uh, again but into a multi-unit building and a partnering up with some people. And we have a lot of exciting things going on. All right. Very cool. That's a lot to unpack there. So can you yes. talk about the type of <laughs> a build that you're, you're doing? Can you expand a little bit more on that and what that is? The types of buildings that we do, like on the construction side? Yeah. Yeah. So a passive house in terms of certification. So they're, they're, actually, I'll back up a little bit. So there's people out there who talk about passive houses, like passive solar houses. That is different than what I'm talking about, which is a certified passive house. A passive solar house for the most part might take advantage of the sun to 
use it to heat the house. If you're actually going to get certification, it is one of the most rigorous building standards in the world. Uh, and it depends on where you build it. So for example, where we are here in Ottawa, Canada, it is quite hot and humid in the summer. And it is obviously cold <laughs> and dry, can be dry in the, in the winter. So we have kind of two extremes. So it's very different building a certified passive house here versus building a certified passive house in California. Because the, the way the standard works, it's based on how much energy consumption and heating and cooling. And if you get into the US, they look into some other things like water and how long it takes the hot water to get to the tap, some craziness. <laughs> but it's really based on how much energy you're using and you have to hit certain standards. And the most important part is you have to hit a 0.6 ACH, which stands for air changes per hour. So what we're talking about building is a super insulated, super airtight, uh, well-designed home that if it can, takes advantage of the sun, but it's not required. And I have lots of videos out there talking about our home and what worked and what didn't work. And one of the things, for example, that we learned is that, sure, it's great to use the sun to heat your house, but when the sun is on, it's on. You can't turn it off if your house gets up to temperature, right? So there's a comfort thing that we have to factor in. Well, that's, that, you know, that, that's super interesting. So is it wrong of me to assume that these are mostly for like end user homeowner type of builds rather than investments? Yeah. So what all the stuff that we're doing on the construction side is for the homeowner. Uh, like it's for their dream house. You know, we're doing major renovations, energy retrofits, some passive houses, all the passive houses we've done have been for actual architects. Uh, we mostly do net zero homes or net zero energy ready homes for clients. Um, now what I mentioned with regards to partners, one of the things that we're doing, and we just backed out of a project because of environmental assessment, but we ran the numbers and what we want to do is bring this type of thinking to real estate because if you have tenants and they pay the bills, there's no incentive to make the house more energy efficient, more comfortable, more healthy, those types of, there's no financial incentive, unfortunately, right? The bank doesn't care if you have a healthy, comfortable home for your tenants. They just want to know what the numbers are. So like, all right, well, how can we provide a healthy, comfortable, efficient home, but also make it, financially feasible so that we can actually get the financing that we need. And ultimately, because we need to run this as a business and we need to make money. Mm -hmm. So what we've realized is that the numbers make a lot of sense when you start renting out apartments, all inclusive. So if you, because as we know, and you look at banks, banks going to look at your net operating income. All you have to do is increase that net operating income. It doesn't matter how you get there. If you can reduce your expenses and increase your rent, then great. So by, renting it out all inclusive we there's an incentive to us to making the the building more efficient because mm -hmm. our electricity well ideally we want to go fossil fuel free as well because you can offset your electricity bills with solar panels so once again the way i look at it is that you can turn a roof into a rental unit and the tenants never move out they never party and they never create a mess <laughs> so uh, and the, so if you can create a building that's fossil fuel free with solar panels and you rent it out all inclusive this is where it starts to make a lot of sense uh, because you can charge more for rent. People are happy to pay what they were expecting to pay for the utilities, even though you've reduced them and that you actually have a more comfortable and a healthy home for the live in. And they don't, it's one of those things where you can't, I can't sell a lot of the stuff that we do like with pretty pictures. That's why we do a lot of videos, uh, but you have to really experience it. Like once you've lived, I'm not saying we're doing passive houses necessarily on our, on our, these buildings that I'm talking about, but it does make sense. Passive house makes sense on a larger scale.
-hmm. the more it's easier to make a larger building with more units, a certified passive house than it is to make a small single family home. Right. And I'm thinking too, like, could this be something that could work for like a short term cottage or, you know, something that you're doing on the shorter midterm. But, you know, the other thing I'm thinking, and I don't, you know, and I still have to dig into it a little bit more, but, uh, you know, CMHC is coming out with some, some new things and some new opportunities where if you make something, you know, more energy efficient, you get points. If you, you know, do some, a certain amount below market, like in, for new builds and, and things like that. Do you know a little bit about that? And, and essentially you, you can actually amortize over 40 years instead of like less than that. So your cash flow can be improved. And they're just, they're just coming by the time that we're recording this, they're just coming out with that. But it seems like it's interesting because they are giving points to, and then you get a certain number of points and then you can essentially get CMHC financing at like really good rates and a much longer amortization for, you know, buildings. Multifamily. But I wasn't aware of that. I was aware of the green energy grant uh, that they've been talking about, but this that's new to me. So I don't know how, how it's, do they it's base very the point new. system? This is like maybe two weeks ago. Okay. So I think exciting. some of them, yeah, it is exciting. So some of the mortgage brokers are, are getting some information on it. So if somebody is interested and this is really for multifamily and this is not for like your single family type of thing, but, and then when you're building brand new as well. So, but if you get enough points, like I think where I look at it too, is if you get enough points from an energy efficient standpoint, or, you know, just doing things as efficiently as possible, you don't necessarily have to have a certain amount of, you know, rents that are affordable quote unquote, affordable rents, you could have higher rents and you can get your points by. So it might be something that you, you could look into yeah. very, very new multifamily opportunity, but to amortize over 40 years. I mean, you know, why not if, if you can get better cash flow for it? Yeah. I'm actually just going through the process of refinancing one of my eight unit buildings in Brockville, but I haven't been able that that's one of those buildings where everyone pays their own bills. So until people start moving out, I can't I can't do some of these upgrades that I'm talking about and like rent it out all inclusive. I have to, I have long-term tenants there and they're great tenants, but they're paying rent super low. So I'm just waiting, <laughs> waiting to be able to take, take advantage of the opportunity sort of thing. But it's, it's a perfect building that to do something like that too, mm -hmm. um, and to test things out. So I'm going to look into that. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, just want to take a quick moment and introduce you to a key member of my power team. Dylan Suter is my realtor who's been working very hard to find me amazing deals. And Dylan, I'm a big proponent in working with realtors that are investors. And Dylan is truly an investor. Welcome, Dylan. And thank you so much for being a sponsor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I want to first thank you for having us as a sponsor. We're really grateful to be working with you and all of the support you've given us over the past couple of years. So thank you so much for that. And our focus as Elevation Realty is to focus our attention primarily on real estate investors that are looking to replace their active income with a passive income and go enjoy what they like most, such as time with the family or up at the cottage, whatever it may be. So what we do is we focus our attention on creating a plan specific for each client, whether that is something they want to have five properties in five years and be able to sit on them for 10 years and then sell them and retire on the, the equity. Or if they're looking to scale their portfolio and retire in the next 12 months, we can look at doing that as well through joint ventures or Airbnb short-term rentals. We can talk through buildings, buy, renovate, refinance, single family purchases, and the list goes on. That's awesome. Now, Dylan, if people wanted to reach out and get help from you, where can they go? They can check us out online at www.elevationrealty.ca, E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca, or they can email us at info at elevationrealty.ca, Give us a call or text at 905-592-4220 
or check us out at the right club or other meetup groups that we're usually at as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dylan. It is awesome working with you as always. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. Awesome. So tell us about your, your current portfolio where you mentioned multifamily that you got into, you know, how did you get into multifamily versus other types of investments? And, uh, you know, what does that look like? So my current portfolio only has in terms of the, the rental only has that one eight unit building. So I got back into, so one, what I ended up doing is I got into cryptocurrency actually, and was doing quite well with that. And then, or am doing quite well with that. And then I borrowed against the cryptocurrency to purchase and get back into real estate. And to me, it made sense to go. I had single family or duplexes before. I just, I wanted to do something larger. Uh, So I got into, I found this eight unit building in Brockville and the numbers made sense. I, to be honest, I didn't think I was going to get the building because there's 11 other offers on it. (laughs) And I'm like, well, this is the number. And uh, my real estate agent said, how much do you want to go to? I gave him the number. He goes, well, what, what's your favorite number? I'm like 11. He's like, all right, I'll go. It was 850. He's like, I'll go 850, 110 uh, right, for the 11. And we'll see what happens. I'm like, sure, whatever. Uh, and he said, I'll give you the $110 back, which he never did, by the way. So maybe I'll follow. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, so he ended up somehow worked his magic and we ended up getting it. I think they were asking 780. We paid 850. The numbers made sense at that point. So I don't know if I was the highest bid. I don't know if they just liked the, my story because it was an older couple who owned it for 25 years. And I said, look, I'm buying this for long term. You know, maybe my son takes it over way down the road sort of thing. So I, he might have sold that. With your offer, uh, I didn't send a letter, but I know my real estate agent did a really good job at selling us, and I think sent like because my personal web page, my construction page, like I have stuff about my family, kind of, and my son were kind of posted all over the place. So I think he just sent a lot of that information, and then had a video call with them, and they seemed to like it. So I have no idea if we we're the highest, but it worked out really well for us, obviously. So, so that was kind of the beginning. And then we we're not slowing down. Like I said, we, I'm actually, I shouldn't say that, we're actually flipping another property right now. Uh, and then I have partners that we were about to buy another seven unit building, but we backed out because of the environmental assessment. So I kind of jumped back in two feet because I've made all the mistakes in the past. So now I, <laughs> I know I'm sure I'll make more mistakes, but made the biggest mistakes and I'm a little bit wiser than I was when I started years ago. So, so, you know, it's funny that you mentioned the numbers, like we were sick of making an, like I was trying to buy a cottage last year, like a second cottage in the same type of area. And we were so sick of like losing out to these insane numbers. So we're like, let's just like play the slots and put seven, 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 seven. That's the offer that we gave. <laughs> and it, you know, again, like, it, you know, maybe it was the highest, maybe it wasn't the highest. Ultimately, you know, four months later, it was appraised for a hundred grand more. So regardless if it was the highest or not, I don't really care, but sometimes it's just, and, and we did send a letter along with it. And sometimes, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, obviously if you're way off on price, it probably isn't. But if you're like five grand difference or something along those lines, it could. Let's talk about the, and you brought up environmental assessments. And I think that's important, especially when you get into commercial financing, five or more units, depending on the lender, obviously, because I know RBC, you can still do six and I think maybe seven residentially. But other than that, you are you are going into commercial and, and commercial financing and there's different rules and regulations. So what is an environmental assessment? So there, there's different phases of environmental assessment. So I'm not going to say, pretend that I'm a professional on this, but I can share obviously what I know from my experience is 
the when you get into commercial a lot of times the lenders will ask for an environmental assessment but it'll depend on the site so the eight unit building that i just bought in brockville they didn't ask for an environmental assessment um, i also went with a private lender at the time and we're refinancing right now because we got the value of the building up by i'm waiting for the appraiser to come back but probably at least 150 uh, over the last seven months and i didn't really have to do that much to be honest so it worked out well and the environmental assessments on this other building was because it was close to train tracks i think is where they were asking about it so what what ended up coming back with that environmental assessment is that they look at a certain radius so what's within that radius and i i can't remember what it was it might be a kilometer uh, it can't be that big either way they look at they have a certain radius that they look around it and they say okay well what's in there and in this case i found like a mechanic shop there's the train tracks there there is uh i think there was there is a storage facility somewhere else uh so there's all these things that could potentially affect the soil conditions and the site that it was actually the original hotel uh in cardinal actually and once we got all that basically that assessment comes back and it says we because of all these things we recommend a phase two assessment so this first assessment is like three or four grand phase two is like 10 or more sort of thing and i we did question it my partners and i are like all right well i want to make sure one of the things that we learned is obviously you're going to say you i recommend a phase two if you're going to get paid to do the phase two but I understand that there's a governing body, right? That they have they have to follow this, right? It's kind of like a realtor, right? You you have to act, uh, follow a certain code of conduct, and if you don't, you'll lose your license. You won't be able to do this type of thing anymore. So in that phase, that phase, that phase one report came back and it recommended the phase two. What we did is we went back to the to the seller and we said, look, if you go get the phase two then we'll discuss it at that point, right? And we'll give you the phase one. We're trying to sell it to them. I haven't heard back from the real estate on that one yet, uh, real estate agent, but it ended up being quite a few hoops to jump through on that particular property, having to do the environmental assessment. And what we found out on the commercial side is that lending, a lot of the lenders don't like small towns, which mm -hmm. our mortgage broker wasn't, we weren't aware of at first until we started to jump through the hoops for this one. Uh, so that's another thing to be aware. We figured we'd do better in a small town because uh, there's not a lot of rental units, but finding money at a good interest rate seems to be quite difficult. So we're regrouping uh, and we're actually changing our strategy for that, for, for that, those, that partnership. Yeah. So just a couple of things. Yeah. So there's three phases essentially, right? So phase one, I think is pretty common, right? And then it's just a matter of like, if you want to go to the next phases, cause they cost so much more. And then just, you get to phase three, you're doing like testing the soils and, and that kind of stuff. And that can be like hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on, on the site and what it is. So ideally you want to have a phase one pass, but it sounds like you had some good clauses in there. The other thing I'm, you know, that you mentioned, I think is interesting is like, yes, there's better deals, especially with multifamily in these smaller towns. And ideally when you have a deal and just if someone is listening to this is maybe you have a mortgage broker on your team and just run it by them on the exit. I think on the, on the purchase, you could always go private, you know, get, get the stuff that you need to do to it done. And then you can refinance, but you do need to know what your exit strategy is. I'm almost wondering like in your case, if there's like a, a credit union or something that's local that would, that would do it. Yeah, we were going to, we would have looked into it further if that environmental assessment didn't, but once that came back the way it did, we're like, 
there's no point in kind of wasting any more time on this property. Yeah. We really like the numbers and we like this particular building was had really large units. So we knew that we could sever it or sorry, make the unit smaller, kind of create more units. And it only had the one gas meter and one hydro meter. So this was going to be that mm-hmm. we ran the numbers, but we were going to do that test where we get it off natural gas, put the solar panels on, make the, the units more environmentally, uh, sorry, more energy efficient, uh, and actually prove that it's a good model. Uh, but unfortunately we weren't able to do that. We also ran into this property. There's a kind of a third, uh, maybe it's a fourth strike at this point, but there was some non-conforming units because it was on a main street that were supposed to be commercial. And there was three and they told us there was two. So there was a bunch of stuff that just wasn't lining up. Right. So you just have to remember to, <laughs> not get it's it's not like an emotional attachment right when you're doing these real estate deals this mm-hmm. way it's not like buying your cottage or a home you're for yeah. your family right so it's it's a little bit different way of thinking uh so which is good right and that's the other thing that's great about real estate and going into multi it's like if the numbers don't work they don't work move on to the next project and and keep mm-hmm. going yeah no for sure i mean you make a lot of offers you get some under contract and if you do your due diligence and you're like mm, you know what this doesn't match up then if you have a clause in there, you're, you're able to go back. So even if it's a due diligence clause and you leave it, you know, open to interpretation so that you need to do what you got to do. But yeah, you talked about your, uh, your refi on the current one that you have. And so you acquired it and then what, like, did you do to get the refi or did you just wait, <laughs> wait in this crazy market and maybe the cap rate reduced or something along those lines? Yeah. So it's a little bit of both. I guess what I was hoping to do was to get all my, or at least a few tenants out, renovate the units and rent them uh, out higher. Cause I know they're low, even if I don't do any renovations for what they're paying, cause the tenants have been there quite some time. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to persuade any of the, the tenants to move out. And uh, partly because there's hardly anything for rent. Right. And they know that they have such a good deal. So they're like, well, why would we move? Uh, so that being said, I'm kind of waiting. I know there's going to be a couple people moving out fairly soon, but I didn't want to continue to wait for the for these people to move out and renovate because I don't know when it's actually going to happen. What I was able to do is obviously do the regular rent increase. I was able to reduce my expenses and I was able to do some work in two of the units so that the tenants stayed, but uh, one of them, for example, wanted a new bathroom. So we negotiated a new rent and she got a brand new bathroom out of it. And she was, she's still very happy about that. Uh, so that's another creative way that you can do it is you go to your tenants and be like, Hey, I can give you something new, still give them whatever, like it doesn't cost much to do a, a little bathroom, right? Uh, you still give them a good deal then maybe a better deal than what they might get if they go somewhere else or so make it enticing, but it ends up being win-win because it depends on cap rate and sort of thing. Uh, but for every hundred dollars of net operating income every month is going to be anywhere from, I don't know, 10 to $15,000 worth of equity. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, or more in some cases. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's all about the NOI, right? Net operating income. So what are, what's all of your income minus what's all your expenses. And sometimes even just things like maybe if it's super simple to do, like offering like in unit laundry for a new rent or, you know, like, big screen TVs, like a lot of, like, I, I don't watch TV, but a lot of renters have really big TVs and maybe they like those really big TVs. So could you buy them a TV or could you buy a TV for your unit for a new rent? Like there's probably so many different things. Like ultimately I'll, I'll say this, there's, there's obviously the RTA and there's the LTB, but if you and your tenant agree on something and you're both happy, like you said, it, Casey, win-win, 
then, you know, ultimately like you guys can figure it out how to make it work. Now, obviously, you know, the RTA and the LTB, you know, if, if something doesn't work and, and there is, you know, obviously a conflict there and then the, those rules take over, but there's many times where, you know, a tenant maybe wanted something and I'm like, Hey, could we do something with the rent here? And it's more, but like it, they were happy with it and I was happy with it. So, so like we move on and that's cool. Government doesn't have yeah. to dictate everything if the tenant and yourself is, is in agreeance, you know? Exactly. And as long as you get all the right forms signed, then you should be good. Cause even when I renegotiated the rent uh, and, and we worked the, the new deal is I still had, I think it's the N11. Is it the N11, the agreement to end the tenancy? Mm-hmm. That the end. Okay, so I had the tenants uh, and I. We signed the N11, basically saying the rent was you know ending at the end of the month, and then the new agreement with the same tenant kicked the next day, right? So we still, I still have all the forms that I need uh, if something were to come back on us for some reason. But at the end of the day, like I've the same thing with construction. Get it in writing. Hopefully, you never have to look at the contract ever again. But just do the paperwork so everybody has it and everyone's in agreement on what's actually happening because you don't want people to come back on you. Uh, a year later, who knows when, right? And, mm-hmm. Yeah, and no, of course. If you don't have anything, anything official, then it's not going to work out. Those are those are other big mistakes I made in the past. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Learn learn from Casey's mistakes. Yeah. Don't make the same ones. What uh, What are you working on these days? Like, what's exciting you? So, what we're doing, like what I'm doing with the partners on the real estate side, that's exciting because that's basically I'm bringing the values that I believe in and what my other business stands for into the real estate game. Cause that's one thing I've always been racking my head is I don't want to just do cheap renovations. I don't want to just have a building and rent it out as, you know, for do as little as possible and get as much as possible sort of thing. Uh, it just, that doesn't excite me. Uh, so I am excited about what we're doing, what we're doing on the real estate side. We have a ton of exciting projects on the construction side as well for homeowners. We get more work than we've ever had locked in. So uh, there'll be lots of stuff happening on our YouTube channel if people want to follow the Conscious Builder there. And uh, the final thing is we have a the Conscious Builder Academy that we launched, and that's actually designed for contractors. So we're creating courses to help other contractors stay in business, build better homes, build those healthy, comfortable, efficient homes that we've been talking about. Uh, so we have some exciting things happening with that this coming year as well. So Very lots cool. of things, lots yeah. of things on the go, a few different teams. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, I just want to take a quick moment here and pause the podcast to introduce you to one of my favorite contractors, John from Blackjack Contracting Inc. And he has been serving the Niagara, Hamilton and Brantford areas for the past three years and has become the area's legal basement suite renovation specialist. He works with many investors that I know and some newer investors, some more experienced investors, and he converts single family homes into multiple units, as well as my favorite strategy, the Burr strategy. So he's well-versed in those as well to make sure that we can achieve the maximum value of the property and the maximum ARV. He has also completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls, and everywhere in between as well. They do everything from permitting to the design to the final cleaning before listing our rentals for rent or for sale. And he's also a fully licensed electrical contractor. He's certified with ESA and he will take jobs of all sizes. So no job is too big. He's done a complete guts really from the ground up. So super impressed with his work and what he's been doing for fellow investors that I know as well. So if you wanted to reach out, his website is Blackjack 
contractinginc.ca and you can ask him whatever questions you have. You can also reach out to him Instagram, which is at blackjackcontractinginc. And like he says, he knows that investing feels like the biggest gamble of our lives. So when you have blackjack on your side, the house always wins. So guys, 100%, I recommend blackjack contracting. I will say that finding the right contractor is sometimes a hassle and getting a good one that works with investors that understands the numbers is going to be critical in our success, especially when doing the Burr strategy. And now back to the show. So the, the contractor course, like could an investor also take it if they wanted to, you know, maybe just like bring in the trades and do their own rentals? I don't know. I mean, not necessarily that I would recommend that you guys do that, but let's just say somebody that does want to be, you know, kind of overseeing the trades and potentially, you know, be the contractor for their own deals. Is that an option for them? Yeah, there's different courses uh, in there for different things. So it depends on what you're looking for. Like, for example, we have a conflict resolution toolkit that we're putting out that was designed for contractors and having difficult conversations with clients because everything that's going on right now is craziness. So there's a lot of things that we need to navigate as contractors, but, but that could be for anybody really. Right. So it's just about good tools and good ways to communicate with other people. And uh, like I said, it's designed for contractors, but anybody could do that. Like at the same time, if you're, if you're dealing with subcontractors, this is going to help too, right? If you, if you're running your own renovations on your rental buildings and your subcontractors aren't doing what they're supposed to do or whatever it may be. Like these are the conversations that you need to have. And, and that's one thing that I've learned is I remember when my wife was doing her master's in, like I said, clinical psychology, I remember she was like studying that. I'm like, oh, I'll never have to know that psychology stuff. Who cares sort of thing. And that is literally like 90% of what I do now. Right. So it's, it's either conversations with clients or sub trades or team members or tenants. Like it's all about, it's all people, right. And you have to be able to navigate the different types of people. I need to be able to change your communication style, right. It's, it's not to say that you have to change who you are, but you do need to be adaptable and be able to communicate differently depending on who you're talking to, right. I can show up and, you know, swear with the best of them with the contractors if I have to, right. But then I can show up and not worry, you know, and be very polite and talk to homeowners and, you know, I'm comfortable doing either or, uh, and I don't think that's changes who I am. That's just what I have to do in any given situation sometimes just to connect with people. Yeah. I mean, I think communication is key and that that's also one of the challenges sometimes of, of breakdown of, of in, in issues, right? It's just the, the maybe a communication slipped somewhere along the lines. And, and that was probably like 90% of the issues could probably be fixed with communication and can be ruined oh, with communication. Absolutely. I do believe that. And probably 100% to be honest, because something got miscommunicated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, say, I'll say 99. I'd, I'd <laughs> to say like 99%, at least the problems that I've had to deal with. But <laughs> what, are, what are the challenges? I mean, obviously there's shortages right now. Like what are you experiencing in terms of like, you know, the construction challenges right now? And you know, let's just call it 2022. Yeah. The, the toughest thing is the labor shortage right now. There's just so much work and not enough people to do the work. And the last thing you want to do is rush through things. And ultimately that creates more work. So navigating the ever-changing schedule and ultimately all the moving parts ends up being the most difficult thing because if, for example, you have an electrician, this just happened to us a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of the electrician's workers on site, the, the daughter, I believe, got COVID, so then he had to stay home. And then anyways, they ended up being short, so that delayed us, but then it's a domino effect, right? So you know, we get delayed two weeks, then we got to push everybody, but 
if you have to push back the drywall or two weeks, maybe he gets locked up and he ends up being three weeks. Right. So mm-hmm. usually like, because we've been doing this so long, we have good relationships with our trade. So it's not that big of a deal a lot of time where we can adapt and we can kind of weave things around, but that's the biggest challenge is it's gets frustrating for the guys on site, right? You're trying to keep a job going as efficiently as possible. And when things like this happen or guys don't show up when they're supposed to show up or get delayed at another job, like you can't get upset at them necessarily, as long as they're communicating what the, what's going to happen, that that becomes the trickiest thing right now. And then being able to communicate that to the clients who are ultimately waiting for us to be done their project. Yeah. And I think that goes to just like being able to communicate that with them in the beginning and just like letting them know that your three month project might take six months because like, there's a lot of things that are out of the control, even just with like the lockdowns that we're having and like everything like that. So, I mean, hopefully at some point we can get back to some level of, of normal, but it's, uh, it's definitely, you know, we're feeling it in the industry. And I think even from a, even from a shortage standpoint, like what, like, I've never, and you know, you've been in the market for for a while. Like you started young, and this is a hard market. This is a difficult market to navigate. I think just because everyone's competing with ten other offers, and five years ago that wasn't really the case. I mean, you know, you might see two or three offers here and there. Properties, you know, be there for a week, two weeks. They weren't all holding offers, but like, you know, from your perspective, I mean, you know, are are you doing anything in particular to try to navigate through and, and trying to get some deals? Uh, well, you have to be ready to act quickly, right? So have your systems, like if you're going to do your due diligence on a property, like you, you typically have to go in with the least amount of totally drawing a blank, however, family day today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you gotta, you gotta be comfortable because if, if you're exactly. on the conditions is no conditions. I mean, you're closing on it one way or the other, or you're losing your deposit and, and risk a lot yeah. of, of bad things. <laughs> And and that's the thing with commercial too, is that typically that's more common. Like if you're dealing with the residential side, somebody could come in with no conditions, fine. But commercial that typically, at least in our experience, that hasn't happened yet for the buildings that we've been putting offers in on. So that, but you, you still need to be able to act quickly to be able to put comfortable, to be in a position where you're comfortable to put the offer in, right? So run your numbers quickly and then make, make a count. Because financing now, that's the other thing on the commercial side, it's taking like at least 30, 45 days in some cases more. Uh, That's what we're being told by our brokers. And that's a long time to have like a conditional sale on a property, right? So uh, it seems to be the norm, but still, then you're kind of locked into that approach. You have to be committed to it, right? So if if you're waiting now for 30, 45 days, and then that deal falls through similar to what kind of happened to us, it was before that mark, but there could have been something else that maybe we, we would have jumped on. Mm-hmm. Right. So the more stuff, the more things you could have figured out ahead of time, the, the quicker it's going to go. You have to be able to go quickly in, in this market. Now it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, I think there's still something to be said about like good old door knocking and trying to find some properties yourself without having to rely on your realtors or even your, the wholesalers nowadays. Like, I mean, if they can get something under contract, why can't you get something under contract too? Right. And, and start thinking about like potentially sending out your own mailers, knocking on your own doors. You know, that's, that's like an opportunity for that person that is trying to find a deal without, you know, again, it, it takes more time. Obviously it's more hands-on, it's more active. So not for everybody, but food for thought in this market, though. I don't know if it's going to be like this for, for many more years to come. I have a feeling once, you know, rates start going up and, you know, maybe in two years from now, we're going to have potentially a different set of circumstances. Yeah. 
Yeah. Who knows? But uh, you know, you can't, you still can't go wrong. If you're buying real estate and you plan on holding it long-term there, you're going to, you're going to win in the end. Don't sell it too quickly. Those are, yeah. that's another mistake I made in the past. <laughs> and I think that's the cash flow game, right? Is like, you're not going to get wealthy off of cash flow. You're not going to get rich off of cash flow, but at least you're going to be able to take the ups and the downs and the cycles. Because even if your property drops a little bit here and there, your cash flow is not necessarily going to go hand in hand with that. Rents, if anything, probably go up if there's, you know, less people that can buy or, you know, less people that want to buy. There's always going to be renters regardless. Awesome. So the next part of the podcast, Casey, is the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you five questions. Every guest gets the same ones. You're going to give me the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready to play? I'm ready. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Complete Properties. If you need a great property manager to help you in the Niagara, Hamilton, and Burlington markets, reach out to Margaret Cameron at 905-920-7886. She can also be reached at margaret at Complete pminc.com via email or the website completepropertiesinc.com. All right. So question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book? Oh, uh, sorry. I got like all my current books that I've been reading. I've been reading all about economy. Well, you know <laughs> so, what? Use one of those. Let's switch it so up. So it's the Ray Dalio's principles book, but it's principles for, it's a long title. And I can't think of what it is right now. And I have it upstairs on my table. So if you research Ray Dalio, it's like principles for a never changing economy or something like that, something along those lines. Uh, really good book. And obviously I can't remember the title, but it's not, I'm not doing it justice, but <laughs> all of Ray Dalio's books are good. Awesome. Awesome. Perfect. So number two, this doesn't have to be real estate related. And I don't know if you listen to podcasts, but if you do, do you have a favorite one? The, my favorite podcast has been Joe Rogan lately. Tim Ferriss has been another one, but Joe, lately Joe Rogan, because he's had a lot of good conversations with people about all sorts of different things. And I'm, I'm just interested in a lot of different things. Makes sense. Yeah. I started listening to Joe Rogan probably in the last like few months as well. Cause it, he, you know, he gives a different perspective than, you know, you're not necessarily going to find everywhere, everywhere else. All right. Yeah. Number three, what do you do for fun aside from real estate and work? So I love, I have a 77 Westphalia and uh, I have it gutted right now, but it does still operate. I still drive it around, but hopefully that's back together because I love camping. So I have an eight-year-old son and we hop in that and we take off for the weekend. So very cool. when it's not minus 30 out. <laughs> yeah, I know it's been cold. All right. Question number four, if you lost all of your money and all of your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? I would actually start with cryptocurrency because in... I've been doing a lot of research with that. There's ways that you can make some dividends with certain ones as well, uh, but it's a way to get involved and start making, investing without having to worry about putting a lot of money in, right? You can put a hundred dollars in, you can put a thousand dollars in, whatever you can, whatever you have at that moment, you can actually get into it. And then you can use that to invest in real estate or business or whatever it may be. And I'd, obviously invest in myself some more. <laughs> Always put money. Best investment you can make is in yourself. For sure. And last question, if somebody has $50,000, and this might tie into your fourth question, but if somebody has $50,000 and they want to know how to best spend that money, what would you recommend? That would be investing in yourself. So surround, get involved with people who know more than you, who have been there, who are, who are further ahead, who are willing to share and kind of, uh, and guide you to ultimately where you want to go. So use that money to, to in, 
improve your environment because we are who we hang out with. We are the average of the five people we hang out with most or the five podcasts or YouTube channels, whatever. Uh, you are the average of what you basically let into your mind. So be very careful about what that is. Great, great insight there. You are the average of the five people. And if you look around and you are the smartest of those five people, then you might need a new three or four of them. Yeah. <laughs> Help you get elevated. Awesome. Yeah. Casey, where can my listeners reach out and find out more? You can go to my personal page, caseygray.com. If you're a contractor, you're interested in what we're doing there, you can go to consciousbuilderacademy.com. Uh, if you just search the conscious builder, we are all over the interwebs. Amazing. We're Thank you so much. Thanks very Thank much you for, for having me, your Sarah. time and your insights. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid. But as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step -step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.